0: Welcome to the Matthias J. Barker podcast, everybody. My name is Matthias, and I'm a psychotherapist here in Spokane, Washington. And this is a podcast about psychology and mental health and what makes life meaningful. Um, big announcement, we got approved on Apple Podcasts. So if uh, that's the place where you listen to podcasts, uh, go ahead and leave a review. That'd be really helpful, I think. Uh, so pause this video and go leave a review. Give us five stars if you like it or, or no stars or one star if you think this is trash. That's, uh, that's only fair. So today we're talking about relationships. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, We're talking about uh, romance and infatuation and conflict. It's pretty timely also. Uh, My wife and I's anniversary was yesterday and we celebrated eight years, pretty exciting. We did a Q and A on Instagram, just about conflict and relationships and answered a bunch of questions there. So this, this is a timely episode, it's good. I was talking to my wife this morning about just kind of what I plan on talking about today and uh, I was telling her I was going to bust two relationship myths and she asked me what those myths were and I was telling her about them and she contributed a lot. We had a really great conversation and uh, the first myth that we were talking about was just, you know, that we, we get into this mode where we believe that we shouldn't have to force things. In relationships that if we're really in love if we really are like the right connection the right partner for that person or they're the right partner for us that it should be fluid and easy and feel like it shouldn't it should feel kind of effortless that you shouldn't have to be in this mode where you're constantly in conflict and you know missing each other's signals and kind of drenched in like frustration and irritation it should actually just be fun and enjoyable. And you should want to anticipate and just like want to be around that other person and just cherish them. And that anything other than that, just overflowing affection, you know, is maybe evidence for not being the right match not being the right pair, you know? And I think Paige really rightly pointed out that she's like, yeah, that sounds a lot like infatuation to me. And uh, I've studied a lot on infatuation, just kind of the science of it. And it's pretty interesting. When you're, when you're talking to somebody um, that, you know, maybe is a potential mate, a potential love interest, you're not just evaluating them with your mind and you're not just asking them about hobbies and their interests or their favorite music or, you know, kind of their life goals. Your body is actually evaluating them too that you're actually um experiencing their pheromones and their hormones and your their scent is is very strong to you that your body is evaluating that it's about, it's evaluating whether you're a genetic match it's evaluating um just like kind of your state of attraction and when you kiss them even just like the the biological data that's exchanged within a kiss is Tons of information that your brain is processing and understanding. And if you're a really great genetic match, it'll taste sweet to you. Their saliva will actually taste sweet. And if you're not, that you'll be repulsed by their breath and frustrated and, uh, and, and a little bit disgusted by their kiss. And there's this, um, there's this real like, ability that our bodies have to kind of sift through who's the right match. Not just maybe philosophically or with their interests or you know kind of as a person, but even biologically. And that's pretty cool. One of the byproducts of infatuation and kind of assessing once the body assesses that the other person, yep, this is a good match. I want to be involved with this person is it heightens up oxytocin, heightens up dopamine, heightens up testosterone, all of these hormones that are really involved in engaging this like overwhelming like affection and infatuation with the other person. Can't get them out of your mind. You're just completely excited to spend time with them. It's overwhelming how much you just really admire and you love them. And what our brains do also is that it turns off the inhibitory functions um, of being able to see someone's faults and being able to see someone's shortcomings and the places even in their character that are um, that could use growth. And we see really only the strengths and we minimize the uh, the parts that maybe are prone to error. And we are just completely overwhelmingly in love with them and when you're in this experience it's very easy to just be like I can't even imagine being frustrated or distant or you know kind of at odds with this person I can't even fathom it so people who are people who are really overwhelmed by stress and conflict they just must not be the right match because for me it just kind of feels effortless and what's interesting is this infatuation stage um it dies off and people are really startled when it dies off because the oxytocin goes down, the the dopamine goes down, and you start to realize their faults. And it's very common, like three, maybe a year to three years into maybe a marriage or being in a long-term relationship with somebody, like, you know, they'll come into the office for me and they'll just report, hey, they just started getting really controlling and they were really messy or they're really, you know, they're not good with money and they wanna do all this and they're they're really irritating in this way and really fatigued by them in this way. They changed. And it's like, well, no they were that terrible the whole time you just you just didn't see it like you're just now noticing what they've been this whole time and that's really startling for people to realize but this is important because this is what actually creates bonding And it's really good that our brains do this because initially we really do need that bond. We need need that really strong incentive to bond really fast and really tightly right away and to deprioritize other things in life and to prioritize the relationship so that we can establish that. But then in the long term, what we need is an ability to see someone's faults and interact with them in a positive way. And to understand the places that our partner needs to grow and to love them and embrace them despite those faults and to interact with those places where they need to grow, where we need to grow in a way that results in trust. Because what we'll find, and actually we're predisposed to become really fatigued with our partners. And this is important because there's lessons that we need to learn about the other person. Like if I'm irritable, fatigued, and grumpy, will you stay? If I'm unreasonable and angry and um selfish are you going to leave are you going to deal with me harshly are you going to criticize me are you going to embrace me and hear me and listen to me try to engage with my lived experience are you going to draw near to me even through my faults and there's these opportunities for maybe <clears throat> um a break in trust and a break in intimacy or an establishment of trust and intimacy and each of these little exchanges, these little almost kind of seemingly insignificant arguments and bids for each other's attention are really the building blocks that form a really deep and rich intimacy that's so much more meaningful than just mere infatuation. Because we feel loved and embraced and accepted, not just for our strengths, not just for all the ways that they think we're incredible, but for also in the midst of our faults. Also in the midst of the places that we need to grow. And that is the kind of connection... That I think all of us really deeply, deeply desire. It's the kind of connection that leads to a really positive parenting relationship, like a co-parenting, you know, bond that, that, you know, kind of trickles down into really positive connections with children. It's it's something that builds a good society. When there's lots of couples within a civilization that, that have that kind of connection and bond, that's good for the whole world. It's good, you know, every layer up it, it, it is good. And so that is why our brains do that. That's why our brains are initially infatuated and then kind of get into this place that's fatigued, but then you build kind of slowly but surely into a place that's a lot more connected. And this kind of goes with the second myth. The second myth is that you shouldn't question the relationship. There's this kind of underlying assumption that if I'm questioning if this relationship is the right thing, that's evidence for that I'm not in the right place. And this kind of goes out of that same place, out of the infatuation mindset. It's like, well, I'm just so overwhelmingly like in love. And so, you know, it hasn't even occurred to me that this isn't the right person. So if that thought entered my mind, that must be evidence that it's not the right match. And on contraire, I think everybody questions that. It's like everyone gets to that point where the infatuation dies down. You kind of level out. You're in that place of fatigue. And it's like, did I make the right choice? Is this worth it? Or like, you know, maybe it's not questioning the whole relationship as a whole, but it's just like, man, can I be honest with this person? Can I, can I really be available for this person? Does this person really, am I safe to depend on them? Like there's these really fundamental questions about just the quality of the relationship that sneak in that really alarm us because we didn't expect to be asking those questions at all. Maybe we were so sure of the answer for the first several years of the relationship while we're infatuation. And now that we're kind of seeing a different side to the person, we're starting to be like, Oh my gosh, well with all these negative faults in here, I'm just not sure I'm just not sure of anything anymore. But again, that is an opportunity to draw near each other because here's the here's the reality is that our minds are disaster creating machines meaning they create in the abstract world of, of conceptual thought all these different potential disasters in every way that things can go wrong and then they you know try to avoid them and, and so it's like you know so your thoughts die and you don't is, is, is kind of the idea it's i would rather conceptualize a possible way that it could go wrong and then avoid it than you know, just kind of walk blindly into every situation and not really give anything any forethought and then find myself in a lot of trouble. And so our mind, that's kind of the activity of what a brain does is it thinks about how everything could go wrong. And it's good that it does that. But it can be alarming when we don't expect it to do that. And so we have all these thoughts like, oh my gosh, is this even the right thing? And then even the presence of that thought was like, oh my gosh, I never even thought that would come into my brain. But really it's that comes into everyone's brain. That's just kind of what brains do is they think of the worst possible catastrophes that could happen and they try to avoid them. And so what happens is we're so nervous that these thoughts even come in that we try to avoid them and not think about them and never, and then we never engage that thought, make any ground on that maybe line of questioning in our own minds. And we don't come to the conclusion, nope, yeah, okay, I considered that, but no, I I really am in the right relationship. I want to be with this person. I want to make this work and I'm willing to put in the effort into communication and listening and all the kinds of things that build up a relationship into intimacy so that we can have that rich connection, you know, at the end of maybe several years of commitment. And, you know, I had a mentor tell me once that, you know, the mark of a well-trained mind is the ability to consider a thought. Without embracing it, that there's this there's a difference between maybe looking at having a thought and looking at it from each angle before kind of wearing it and putting it on and accepting it as truth. And when these thoughts come in, of man, this should just be easy. This should just be fluid. It shouldn't be this hard. Or am I even in the right relationship? Is this the thing that sh- I should be even, you know, considering? It's when all those things come in. Hold that with an open hand. Know that that's kind of a normal experience that everyone goes through is that we're all in a place where we kind of dip off of infatuation, get into a place where we feel fatigued and kind of at odds. But the opportunity before you is to use each of those experiences as ways to draw near each other, draw near in connection, to problem solve, to listen, to attend to the lived experience of the other person, and build trust.